and welcome to Barely a Degree Podcast. <laughs> I thought one, uh, that, that introduction would have been really well suited to the Winston Churchill podcast. Yeah, if only we'd thought <laughs> of that, BBC. if I thought of that last week. <laughs> last week. Today's date, 1941. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, hello listeners. I was going to say it's been a while, but it wouldn't have been a while because this would have been the third week in a row that we've released. But there's been a hefty chunk in between the time we last recorded and this one. There certainly has. certainly has. And I think it's just because uh, there's just been technical issues that have been out of our hands. Dom's laptop broke. <clears throat> Audition, the program that I used to edit the podcast, crashed uh, 45 minutes worth of editing into it and then refused to come back on for about a week. <laughs> I needed Luke. So, yes, as usual, well, actually, we're in a different room to usual, but... I like it. Yeah, it's quite nice. Yeah, Basically, the new room we're in has got uh, lots of very, very old pictures of dead men on it. You know, they're not dead on the photographs, but they are definitely all dead. Quite likely. Yeah, yeah. All, all, all dead. All of these photographs are either very old, black and white, or sepia. That's true. Yes. Every single one is dead. So, sat here with me is Dominic and Hello. Samuel. Hello there. And, yeah, we're back here for barely a degree after a bit of a hiatus. An unintentional hiatus. So what you guys been up to? <laughs> well, I went to the stand last night to see a, a comedian called Yanni from Australia uh, who did a lot of kind of Simpsons-based stand-up. Um, and I was I was surprised at how much I enjoyed it. Well, you're a big fan of The Simpsons, aren't you? Well, yeah. I'm a, I'm a fan of The Simpsons as much as anyone is. Uh I was dubious, thinking like, how can a how can a stand-up comedian make a stand-up show about The Simpsons and make it good? But he did, and it was really funny. I really enjoyed. I it. can't imagine what it would be like. I can't even know how to explain it. Just maybe watch him, look at him. It was good. I enjoyed it. Excellent. Uh, well. So, I don't know what Sam's been up to, but I did have a glimpse at <laughs> Why do you look so mortified, Sam? I did have a glimpse at, of Sam's life today. <laughs> I, uh... <laughs> Sam, Sam hadn't answered his phone all day, so... I think I'd rang him maybe three or four times. You'd rang him three times. Yeah. I, I'd rang him once. With no answer. Ma- oh, oh, mine and Sam's mum had rang him a few times. No answer. So I was like, I'm going to go around. It's podcast day, just so you understand. It's podcast day. We we ring him, make sure he's doing his research, make sure everything's, you know, in order for this evening. Yes. So I thought I'll go and knock on him and make sure he wants wants to be picked up and that kind of thing. So just went round unannounced, went upstairs. Sam was wearing a shirt, a dressing gown, no trousers. <laughs> Bearing in mind this is about 5pm And went into his bedroom And uh, he was sitting there eating spaghetti It didn't look like there was any sauce on the spaghetti I don't know if he'd <laughs> consumed the sauce part of the, di- of the meal It just looked like this plain spaghetti And he was watching a video with the Possibly on YouTube of the nerdiest man I've ever seen in my life I'm pretty sure he had long hair and a sword <laughs> Did he have a sword? Or did... he, he would have had a sword. Okay, yes. he had a sword. <laughs> what was the video? Um, 
it was a video by a YouTuber by the name of Metatron. And he does videos about swords and <laughs> armour. Right. And okay. this particular one was about a game set in medieval times, which he was reviewing. Right. He's Italian. I like him. Okay. Right. Uh, when I was... Oh, what's it? When you go to university, when you first start, and there's like all of Freshers. the... Freshers week, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but there was like this sort of carnival day or something. I know what you mean. Where they do all the stalls and all, all the, the stalls um, and stuff, and it shows you all of the, the all the societies. The societies, yeah. yes, that's what I was looking for. And there was guys in leather armor with wooden swords fighting each other. That'll be the um, what do you call the the larpers? Well, I don't think it was larping because it know? wasn't live action role play. They were actually hitting each other with oh, sticks right. okay. and oh. sword fighting. I was like. I would love to join that, <laughs> but I was I was in a hurry or something, so I, yeah. I just had to walk past. Sorry, is what I forgot to say before when I went to that gig last night at the stand. Andy, who I was with, we're, we're kind of we're talking about the podcast a little bit, and he said something about you which I really liked, and I wrote it down, and I'm going to read it out and see what you think. It's <laughs> a di- direct quote. Andy Singh, fourteenth uh, of November, two thousand seventeen, <laughs> when talking about you. It sounds like he's doing the podcast with two handfuls of Werther's Originals. <laughs> <laughs> two handfuls of Werther's Originals. I think what he was getting at, he was kind of talking about how he really liked this. He, he said that you've got a great voice for a podcast. <laughs> and that when you're talking, it sounds like you've got two big handfuls of Werther's Originals. <laughs> I thought I thought he meant like somehow me and you were the Werther's Originals. <laughs> <laughs> How are, we with... of of <laughs> How are we with? How are we? Me and you are two handfuls of Werther's originals, and Sam's grasping. Sam's got his grasp on it. <laughs> um, I have had another. Um, we've had a new suggestion come in. Um, and normally I wouldn't mention it because obviously we've got all the suggestions for this series. But uh, I'm going to mention this one. It came in from Richard Power, and he suggested Northumberland. Now. We obviously already had that suggestion from anonymous uh, DH. Um, <laughs> you didn't want, suggest who d- want, Northumberland. Who you wanted North- to do Newcastle, and we also missed out. And well, we did Hadrian's Wall, and it got deleted. So I thought maybe it would be nice to maybe just bunch them three together and do maybe a northeast, a northeast episode, special, a northeast special. Uh, no, I like Richard Powers' suggestion of just having Northumberland. Be kind of <laughs> I don't oh like that goodness. DH, so... Uh... <laughs> well, we don't know who he is. It's anonymous. <laughs> so maybe we could do that as like a um, like a two-parter. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that could work. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, that sounds good to me. So, shall we get down to business? Ah. Okay, boys. I think it's time to abandon the sheet of paper that has things that me and Danny think are funny that happen with because all the things that are left will either be it's just it's classified information <laughs> <laughs> like the story before like the story from <laughs> I can't week. believe that wasn't on the list that was great classified. that's too it's too recent the the list that we've got we wrote down yeah, years ago man I found that in an old book but yeah it's time to abandon that but in favour of 
Unfortunately, I wish I could say Sam's quotes were returning because they were very popular. Um, but they're not. But there is a new feature, and it's called Sam's Songs. <laughs> uh, just to explain, Sam likes to sing, but Sam is not very good at remembering the melody of songs or the lyrics to songs. <laughs> the best combination. <laughs> So I'm gonna I'm gonna say the song, and I would like you, I'm if not, you uh, would please, to sing oh, the song you. the way that you sang it when you got it wrong. <laughs> so the first one I'm gonna say is <laughs> is this charming man by the Smiths, uh, vastly improved on by me with this charming young man. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man! This charming young man. Would that even fit anywhere in the song? Apparently, no. I, I, for years, was swore would have swore that it was young man though. It won't fit. In there. No, no. It goes nowhere. It doesn't fit. This charming young man. And that ends the new section of Sam's songs. <laughs> Okay then, Sam, shall we uh, hit the meat? Okay then, uh, as per usual, let's do the ritual of the unveiling of the notes. Ooh. Are you going to un- unveil who, who the meat was delivered by? This week's episode is James the Sixth of Scotland and First of England, as suggested by Joseph Garrick. Cool. Classic Garrick. Classic Garrick. <sighs> uh, a friend of the podcast. A friend. And of- a friend in real life. <laughs> Uh, today's notes are brought to you by a collection of things. There's a bottling up list, but as written in Richard Power's <laughs> appalling handwriting, um, <laughs> which I found in the, my back pocket, so that's there. We have Ryan Anthony's Richard Dawson tickets. Ooh, oh, that was good. That, that was that oh, was that was a joyous. Goodness gracious, listeners, we went to see Richard Dawson at uh, the Clooney Two. Anyways. Bellbinding. And the final one is my payslip. How much? Uh, that week I got paid £195. <whistles> Shortfall. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, oh dear. Before I kick off though, uh, I would just like to open, open with this little quote about King James. He was described as by the King of France as the wisest fool in Christendom. So uh, that's 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 a nice little start. Barbed. Uh, right, oh, we'll start off with a miniature biography of him. Born in 1566, he was the son of Mary, Queen of Scots, who I'm sure you've heard of. Yes. And his father was a fella called Lord Darnley. 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 Good lad. Uh, yeah, but Lord Darnley unfortunately was murdered in 1567. Where was where was he born? He was born in. Edinburgh Castle. Edinburgh Castle. Although I did say so, he was a true Scot. Yeah, total, total, true, true Scot. His his father died fifty six seven in February, so he wouldn't have even been one at the time. Right. So never ever knew his dad. Little tidbits: his dad was probably murdered by Mary. She married the assassin of the father, so seems quite likely that she that plotted. she was part of yeah, the assassin. Plotted, plotted to get rid of her. Husband. Why did they kill him? Just a bit of an arsehole? I think it was just a bit of a dickhead. I have no idea. I didn't look into it. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just brand him a dick. 
However, Mary was forced to abdicate in July of 1567, so he officially became king when he was 18 months old. Not even 18 months old, that's what. King of Scotland? Yeah. Yes. When he was 18 King of months... Scotland. Not even king. Well, yeah, yeah, yes. God, wasn't the past just bloody stupid? We'll put an 18-month-year-old baby on the throne. Mm-hmm. So, yes, his mother abdicated in July 1567, and she was taken away from Scotland in 1568 in May and that would be the last he ever saw of his mother so really no memory of his mother either because she was taken away when he was two right okay uh, so from the age of until he was 10 basically Scotland was ruled by like officially by a, a series of regents and in 1576 he became the nominal ruler although he was still a child he was only 10 so he wouldn't actually become ruler until round about 1581 when he was how old? That would have made him some quick maths. About 15, 16? Right, okay. No, 14. Yeah, yeah 14, 15. Right, right. In 1586, his first main kingly act, well, not first, but one of his first major, most important ones, was he made an alliance with Queen Elizabeth of England. And he kind of wanted to become Elizabeth's successor because when she had his mother executed in 1587, he didn't complain. At all. He sent her a letter saying, please don't, but didn't kick up a fuss over it. He didn't go to war against England for no, the death of no. his mother. But well, then he again, didn't he didn't know, know what, yeah. did he? And, in, and also, his mother was quite hated. He'd been grown up with tales of her being, you know, a murderess, things like that. Yeah. In 1589, he married Anne of Denmark, and they would have seven children, only three of which would survive into adulthood. In or on March twenty fourth, sixteen oh three, Queen Elizabeth is dead, and so he ascends. Of what? She was only sixty nine when she died, but it just says she died in her sleep or sometime during the night. Right. Don't think it was. Don't think it was anything dramatic. Untoward yeah. heart attack, stroke, something. Yeah, like that. something like that. apparently a few of her friends had died recently, and she was very, very depressed. And just yeah, kicked the bucket. So he became the king of England as well. Right, okay. So, so he wasn't married to her? No, 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 no. Um, he had just... He had apparently greatly impressed her when he'd went to visit. And she was like, right, okay. And there was a lot of plotting to make him... Uh, to right, ensure, okay. But on the English side, to make ensure that he was... Uh, he would become king. A bit of a, a Game of Thrones type. Yeah, no, except not as... It was actually a remarkably smooth transition from her to him. There was no... Massive massacres or so big wars or anything like that. Did he swiftly move to uh, Buckingham Palace? He certainly did. And he would actually only go back to Scotland once in his entire life in 1617. So obviously didn't like it that much up there. Uh, as King of England, he uh, ended the War of Spain, which you know the Spanish Armada had been part of, that, that whole uh, debacle. In 1605, there was the gunpowder plot. The Catholics planning on blowing up him and Parliament. Right, okay. Uh, his only daughter in 1613, who was also called Elizabeth, he married to the Elector of the Palatinate, which was a the ruler of the Elector of the Palatinate, which was basically it's a state in the Holy Roman Empire. Right, okay. Uh, Frederick. So he, he married her off. His older son, Henry, would die in 1612 of typhoid fever. And he would finally be succeeded by Charles I, his second oldest son, in 1625. 
Right, okay. So I'm guessing that's a, a, an overview of his life. Yes, that is the brief overview. And now are the two parts that I actually want to start talking about. The two things which are some of the most outstanding parts of his reign. And I'll let you choose which ones we'll talk about first. We can talk about his weird obsession with witchcraft. That one. <laughs> or his uh, open, openly gay rule. They both sound excellent. I'll start with the witchcraft. The witchcraft the one sounds is. more spicy. <laughs> sounds more <laughs> spicy. <laughs> um, right, before we get, in the, uh, get into the witches, I will start off with... He always prided himself on being a bit of an intellect. He'd been well taught in school and he, he liked to think of himself as, a, as an intellectual man. And so he wrote a series of books, which is quite rare for kings to have actually have published books by kings. What about it now? I'm guessing if you spend quite a bit of money, you'll be able to get copies of them. <clears throat> Will there not be one in Waterstones? <laughs> I highly <laughs> doubt it. Although they probably have been collected into collections, I wouldn't imagine. Uh, but before I get into anything serious, I want to read out this quote from one of his books. And I just want you to tell me what he is describing. A custom loathsome to the eye, hateful to the nose, harmful to the brain, dangerous to the lungs, and the black, stinking fumes thereof, nearest resembling the horrible, stygian smoke of the pit that is bottomless. Smoking. He is railing against smoking. New <laughs> craze in England, uh, brought back just in that, the previous century. And yes, that was from, from his... Where did smoking come from? It was back was from the New World, from Amer the Americas. Americas. Yeah. Uh, that was from his book, uh, A Counterblast to Tobacco. Not a book, sorry, that was a pamphlet he wrote, uh, which he published in 1604. Originally published that anonymously, because uh, he thought... Did you pick it up in GP yeah, surgeries off plastic tuckets on the wall? <laughs> 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 yeah, he published it anonymously to try and persuade the public just through the strength of his arguments. And after no one paid attention to it, he, a few years later, published it with his name attached to it, and put massive taxes on tobacco. Right. Okay. Um, was that the first time tobacco was ever taxed? No, no, no. tobacco. Basically, anything of value has always, has always been taxed yeah. to an extent. Two other things I need should point out about him. He was also a complete, absolute monarchist. And he expressed these views in two philosophical treatises. Called, one was called The Law of the Free Monarchies, which he wrote in 1598. And the other one I will get to later because it has something to do with something I will discuss later. Cool. But his his best book or his most interesting book was Demonology. Nice. Which he wrote in 1597. And it all stems from his, his marriage to Anne, his wife, who he married in 1589. As a young lad. Well, he wouldn't have been that young in 1589. He would have been, what, 20? He would have been in his 20s. Oh, um, okay. A man. Yeah. So what happened was he obviously arranged to marry her and he went over to Denmark to Copenhagen. Although, actually, I will point out there is discrepancies in the source of red. Some say he didn't go over. Some say he did go over. But anywho, what happened was when, the, when Anne was coming back to Britain, the ship that she was on encountered terrible storms and had to take refuge in Norway, which was at the time part of Denmark. It was a, a, a Danish holding. And the escorting Danish fleet, the admiral of that fleet, who was a man called Peter Munk, 
blamed the horrible storms on a coven of witches in Copenhagen, which were being led by the wife, the wife of a high-ranking official in that city. Right. And he said, yeah, it's her, because we, we, we insulted her before we left, so she's, she's done what this. What did he do to her? Doesn't, he didn't Call go her a her. slag. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't go into detail, but he was, like, did. he was like, yeah, she, she's a witch, she, she's what caused this. And also, I should point out, Denmark had had a, the government of Denmark had shown a great interest in rooting out witchcraft in their own country. So they were quite receptive to this. Uh, yeah, so apparently, what I do know is... He did, James did go over to go and meet his wife and they were married, not in Scotland, which is where they were intended to be married. So the Danes went back to Copenhagen and started a, a big witch hunt. And in, 1590, in the summer of 1590, the, the Dutch, not the Dutch, the Danish, sorry. Yeah, they conducted a big witch hunt and found lots of women and tortured them and got them to confess. Only, to... only women. Three yeah, horrible women. Really only women. Yeah, really they, they found they found twelve women who they were con- tortured. Three, twelve women that probably just lived alone and had cats. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, some of them were high-ranking officials. One of them was the the wife of the burgomaster of the city. Ooh, the burgomasters. I I recently listened to an audio book that I didn't think was very good. Carry on. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so they they found these women and these women confessed that. They were indeed witches, and they had indeed tried to sink the, the Queen de Bee's ship because they had apparently sent little demons, little demons onto the ship to uh, try and sink it. And looking at this, and apparently during those trials, some of them mentioned that there was some kind of connection to the Scottish nobility as well. And so, hearing of these trials, James was like, "Right, I'm going to set up. I'm going to set up my own witch hunt." And so the uh, the the James. Witch hunt in Scotland became known as the North Berwick Witch Trials. Right. They ran from uh, 1590 oh. to 1592 and directly implicated 70 people, including the, first, the, the fifth Earl of Bothwell, who was named Francis Stewart, as being involved in witchcraft, but also hundreds more people also accused of witchcraft and right. brought in In trial. Scotland, was it all women or was it men? In women? Scotland, it was women and men. Well, obviously, the fifth Earl yeah. was... Um, good, good. I mean, yes, we have equality in our quality. insane, yeah. insane <laughs> witch hunt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and what's interesting about this is James, as King of Scotland, was was the, the judge in all of these cases. He personally, along with a, another body of nobles, personally oversaw the witch trials and, and the trials of the people brought before him. The most notable woman, or one of the most notable women, was a woman by the name of Agnes Sampson, uh, who was an el- who had previously been an elderly and respected woman from the city or town of Humble. Yet she was brought before James, initially denied any kind of wrongdoing. But after being horribly tortured including being completely shaved and having one of those... Oh, crap, I forgot the name of them. But you know those those masks that old women used to wear and it, 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 like, prized your mouth apart. So it, like, pressed your tongue down so you couldn't speak. What? No. Oh, there's really good pictures of them if you could find them. It was called The Witch's Bridal. But anyway, she was put in a cell, strapped one of them on her head so she couldn't speak any spells or things like that I suppose it wasn't just used for witches that it used to be put on women who were deemed as sort of 
rumor spreaders and women that couldn't only give on women. Yeah, you kind of was... said that at the start as if like they wore it on purpose. You know, like I oh, you know they used to wear them. Well, you didn't <laughs> wear it. You I mean, wandered around. It was a form of torture device. It was a form of public humiliation. So yeah, it used to be strapped onto. The kind Hat of thing you can imagine basically. Marilyn Manson going on stage wearing. Yeah, kind of. But you'd have to take it off if you wanted to sing. Well, he's bloody guitarist. He'll probably have it on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, so she was forced to wear one of them and was forced to confess. And she did confess to 56 counts of witchcraft, including, once again, conspiring to poison and sink the ship uh, and poison the queen. When you start to torture, people will do anything. To make the torture stop. Yeah, yeah. That that has been like the the general consensus throughout history. Yeah, it was it was not a good time to be to be around. She was unfortunately burned at the stake eventually. Uh, but you know, like we just watched uh, the death of Stalin at the pictures, and you know, torture was used in that, and they, they could get you to say anything. Say you, anything, yeah. anything they wanted you to say, they could make you say it. I think we'll, we'll probably go into... Well, we're going to do the p- political strife of the 1930s, aren't we? Which is just prior... Well, 20 years prior to... Uh, when the death of Stalin takes place. Yes. So that'll be fun. That might be next series, I think. Yeah. Next series. Uh, yeah, so it was this witch trial which he personally oversaw, which got him very, very interested in witches and what prompted him to start writing his book. And I should point out, actually, the Scottish historian Christopher Smout... He estimated that between 1560 to 1707, so quite a a wide gap, but he estimated that about 3,000 to 4,000 women were, or witches, not just women, witches, alleged witches, were executed. Alleged. Alleged. Sorry. So when you say executed, does that mean burned at the stake? Burned at the stake or hanging was also a common. Right, okay. Even poor Agnes, before she was burned, she was hung. Freaking hell. And... James E oversaw this. James E oversaw this, and this is this is a direct quote from his um, from his book Demonology. The fearful abundage at this time in this country of these detestable slaves of the devil, the witches or enchanters, have moved me, beloved reader. I like that he included that line <laughs> to dispatch and post this following treatise of mine. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I just wrote two words very close together, so it's one word. To resolve the doubting, both that such assaults of Satan are most certainly practised, and that the instrument thereof merits most severely to be punished. Basically him just saying, witches exist and they do need to be dealt with harshly. They are a concern and they all deserve to die. Yeah. Uh, the three book, well, the, the book itself was divided into three books. The first two describe witches and how to deal with them. Like, I'm imagining a big Dusty this would have been tome. a big old dusty tome. You can see they see the cover of it uh, if you if you Wikipedia it. We'll probably put a little appendix, a little picture of of his book. Uh, but the third the third book, which is quite interesting, was where he specifically talks about demons and the categories of demons. And one of the strange things about his theory on demons is that although they can be summoned and used by witches, they are under the direct supervision of God. So anything a demon does will ultimately be for the glory of God, strangely. Right, so he Despite what the witch's intentions are. He doesn't believe, like, the devil's in control of these witches. No, oddly enough, apparently not. Which would make sense. 
Yeah. But they, he does say, he does agree that they are powerful. They're not nice demons, but they are. So, therefore, in his belief, he's going directly against God by stopping God's servants. Well, I think it's. I think what he's getting at is they will try and use demons for their for for nefarious purposes, but ultimately it will be all in God's plan, basically. But yes, the four categories of demons. You have spectra, spirits that haunt houses or solitary places. You have obsession spirits or demons, and these are demons that target certain people and act on them from without, such as. Succubi or incubi would be examples. Right, okay. So could that just be somebody with a mental illness? <laughs> well, succubi and incubi are kind of meant to be... You no, know, it's not meant to be mental illness. These are meant to be not of this world actual demons attacking you. Like succubi trying to got seduce you, you and, and steal got your life you. force. Got or incubi. You. Got you, got you. Okay. Um, the next category is possession demons. Self-explanatory, I think. And the fourth category is fairies. So these are what he describes as illusionary spirits. And I'm going to read it directly because I don't really understand this. Illusionary spirits that prophesy, or prophecy, consort and transport their servants. So I don't quite know what that one means. James, you're bloody rambling. <laughs> uh, but, you know, possession, that that's very broad because, you know, if somebody's an epileptic, that could... Yeah, possession's always a strange one. As... Well, possession's a hor- sadly a thing which is still, you know, exorcisms still happen in this day and age. The Catholic Church still has an exorcism branch that go and try to exorcise people's demons. And in all of these cases, these people are usually just have some kind of mental illness. Lovely. <laughs> yeah, also included within this was, included within the book was a pamphlet that had been written in 1591, which is uh, talking about the, the witch trials in Berwick. And this one was called News from Scotland, declaring the damnable life and death of Dr. Fian, a notable sorcerer. Ooh, sorcerer. <laughs> uh, yeah. It would have been better if they used necromancer. <laughs> he does actually talk about necromancy. He does discuss in his book the difference between necromancy and witchcraft. So, <laughs> right, okay. He was way into this stuff. <laughs> yeah, and unfortunately, this is the case of poor Dr. Fian, who was a schoolmaster in in the area is just once again really horrible um uh, and this 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 pamphlet did just talk about in detail the cases that were brought before james this doctor was one of them once again said i'm not i'm not a witch i'm innocent dr fien unfortunately was subjected to two torture devices one which does sound quite ominous which was the boot <laughs> <laughs> and that does sound horrible was it just a gigantic It was boot? a gigantic metal boot where they put a wooden chock and hammered it. So you, you've got the, the metal boot on. They slide a, a wooden chock into it and just hammer that into the boot. Oh, so it's just going to crush your leg. <sighs> and the second one, which has a much nicer name, but is equally as horrible, was the Pillywinks. <laughs> Bring out the Pillywinks. <laughs> was it a little ball of cotton wool that they rubbed on you. <laughs> <laughs> the Pillywinks' other name were the Thumbscrews. Oh, I think that gives you an idea of what teeth. they are. But why Pillywinks? <laughs> what, what, what do they just... Little metal contraptions that they put on your toes and fingers and it's very much like the device we use to attach our 
microphones clamp. to the table. Basically, it's just a vice, but they would often have screws on the top of them. Um, not not sharp screws, all blunt screws to make it just, so that yeah, just twist it. Yeah, <laughs> not nice. <clears throat> very very horrible indeed. This was to draw a confession. This is these are the methods of proving a witch. I'd confess to anything if screws. because oh, all they'll be saying is confess and it'll stop. Confess yeah. and it'll stop. I'd think I'd see the periwinkles and then be like, I confess. It was a great <laughs> film. Just don't just burn me now, please. But they're being burned. Oh my god! Can I just be hanged, please? Is it, if I'm gonna die, please, can you just quickly hang me? Just hang me from a high height. <laughs> from a high height. Please don't squish my thumbs. Please don't put wood down my big metal boot. <laughs> <laughs> There's a great film with um, Sean Connery and Ron Perlman's in it as well. The film was called The Name of the Rose, and that's about like a bunch of monks in the. 14th century, like medieval times, and Sean Connery is an intelligent monk that goes to this monastery where they think there's witches, witchcraft being practiced, and it's a really dark, dark film, just about horrible, horrible witchcraft. Got you. And poor Ron Perlman plays like a simpleton who gets accused of being a witch, and you can see Aww. where that goes. Yeah, it's Aww. it's a really, really dark film. Is Sean Connery a good man? Right, Sean Connery's a good man. But there's the yeah, there's this total bastardry, bastardry at, uh, at work. Uh, yeah. So the last thing I've got to say about him and his witches <laughs> is after fifty ninety nine, he seems to become a bit more sceptical. Like I say, probably because of all of these witches on trial and none of them performing magic. Uh, so in a letter he wrote to his son Henry, he said, and Henry had just recently conducted a witch trial. He said, on the discovery of yon little counterfeit wench, I pray God ye may be my heir in such discoveries. Most miracles nowadays prove but illusions, and ye may see by this how wary judges should be in trusting accusations. So So he was just like, yeah, if you get a witch, someone accusing someone of a witch, look into it properly. Don't just take... Because really... In small towns and stuff, it could just be a way to get rid of somebody you don't like. Yeah. Which is exactly what happened in the Salem Witch Trials in America. It sounds like he's sceptical now, though. He's like... But bear in mind, there's no proof for any of this That shit. was only two years after the publication of his, of his book on witches. Two years is a lot of time to be... I suppose. Especially to be a witch after he probably, he probably watched people burn and then just thought... If they we were a witch, they could have escaped. Yeah. Like, Use your magic to get out. No, you just burn it to death. No, you have, you're just a, a a vulnerable lady who or man who had some accusations against you because maybe you stole a turnip, <laughs> and now you're burning to death in the boot. In you, you've had your bloody metal boots on. You've had your piddly winks on. <laughs> <laughs> Was it piddly wink? P- piddly wink. Piddly wink. You've had your piddly winks on, and now you're burning at the stake. Yeah, not a nice thing. Not a nice thing. Do you think thing. kids still play? Uh, sorry, Tiddlywinks. Do, you, do think... you think kids still play with Tiddlywinks, or is that too? I don't that, think so. I like don't, when I don't we were kids, we didn't play with that hoop down the street that people at Beamish <laughs> played with. Tiddly. <laughs> Are Tiddlywinks their equivalent for kids now? I, I would be highly surprised if you found a child. Is there a Tiddlywink app? <laughs> Probably. I wouldn't be surprised if you've got Tiddlywinks maybe in a reception class or something like yeah. that. Uh, yeah. So that brings us to the end of the witch. The witch section, the uh, the Halloween section, if you will. <laughs> Next section is his his 
very open bisexuality. Well, you know what? Although he committed, like had some dreadful, dreadful uh, murders on his hands via the witch trials. Congratulations on being op- open. Oh, just wait until until you hear. Oh, <laughs> was was he? And, I... <laughs> and also, we get returned to our favourite topic. Oh, this podcast. He's no. a pedo. <laughs> he is was a reverse pedo. Was what I've written. A reverse pedo. When he, he was, was way into old pedo. When he was a young lad is when he first realised he's gay, and he really went after one of his um, courtiers, one of his the men at his court when he was thirteen or fourteen. That's not reverse pedo. <laughs> that's that was the section. That's like the section heading of this. Just before you go, oh, he was openly bi. That's a good thing. Let's let's dash dash those hopes with what he said as a king in his book Basilicon Doron, which is Greek for King's Gift, which was a book he wrote in 1599, about right. once again about how kings should act and how he should rule. And in it, he listed sodomy as among those horrible crimes which ye are bound in conscience never to forgive. Sodomy's a... Uh, oral or anal sex. Oral or anal yeah. sex. And he also, during his reign as King of England, uh, directed judges to not issue any pardon in any case involving sodomy. But he was so after it himself. He but he was, a, he was a well-known gay man, or had well-known relations with men. So, so he's a hypocrite. Total, total hypocrite. Maybe they're just... Old-fashioned each other, right? <laughs> <laughs> Just an old-fashioned, please. That's all I'm here for. So what made him a pedo, then? He was a reverse pedo, which I shall now get to. <laughs> um, apparently, when he was 13 or 14, so this was in 19... This was in 1581, not quite when he was a, a ruler of Scotland. Just before his marriage to yeah. Anne. No, no, good six six. Good, good few years before. Good he married years. Anne in 1589, so oh, eight right. years. Okay, okay. Yeah, so this was when he was a young lad and hadn't quite come to be the sort of asserted ruler of Scotland properly. He still had a, you know, he's still a young lad. But one of the men that came to his court at this time was a Franco-Scottish lord called Esme Stuart, who was vaguely related to him, but, you know, very, very far removed. And like I say, he was, he ruled, he was the lord of a French name I'm going to butcher, D'Aubigny, I'm going to guess it's pronounced, D'Aubigny, D apostrophe, A-U-B-I-G-N-Y. D'Aubigny. And when he came to Edinburgh, like I say, James would have been about 13 or 14, and instantly fell in love with this man, apparently. How old was the man? He was 37. Wowza. Yep, so quite a, quite a big age gap there. I see um, what you mean by reverse But did he love him then. in a sort of, like, father figure? Or did he just go out? Well, one of the things that up. was said about... <laughs> what was that? <laughs> You'll have to hear it in the episode. <laughs> one of the things that was said about him was, in the open sight of the people, often he will clasp him about the neck with his arms and kiss him. So quite quite openly openly affectionate. But what with kind of kiss was it? A kiss in the cheek, or a was he? Right lips. Or was he sticking? <laughs> <laughs> or was he sticking his tongue down his throat? Apparently, a lot of people became very concerned about how the noble Scottish nobles became so concerned with this because 
Mr. Esme Stewart was a Catholic, that the nobles became very concerned about the influence of a Catholic noble on on the Protestant King of Scotland. And he was forced to convert to Presbyterianism, which was the form of Protestantism in Scotland at the time. But the, the dukes were still not happy with this. And so they kidnapped the king, the, or the lords of Scotland. They kidnapped young James and forced him to denounce poor old Esme, who was then forced to flee into exile into France. And despite, to, to the surprise of a lot of what was I Was this guess, Esme fellow, like, was he, did he kind of respond? Apparently, he, this Esme fellow was really in love with James because so he went back to... Well, yeah, it's, it's definitely pedo and reverse pedo. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> Nambler's dream. Um, <laughs> what did you say? It's Nambler's dream. Nambler's dream. <laughs> um, Who's he, dream? Na- the North American Man Boy Love Association. <laughs> <laughs> is that real? Yes, that is an actual organisation. I forgot about that. I was in South Park. Yeah, right? that was. Yeah. But I, it, it, it exists. Yeah, so he went back to his, his holdings in France. And too much, everyone's surprised, he didn't didn't revert back to Catholicism and was constantly sending nice little lovey letters to uh, young James. Uh, he would die, however, in 1583 and very creepily <laughs> sent James his embalmed heart. <laughs> wow. So that's a nice little... Um... Ugh, I bet you little James, he was just like... <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? What? Nah. What did he die of? Or maybe he shagged one of the year orders. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that thing was a crumbly mess by the time James was through with it. <laughs> uh, but seriously, though, the only thing we do know is that James uh, James wrote a nice little poem about him. <laughs> Sorry. <clears throat> yeah, so in honour of his first male lover, he did write him a nice little poem called In Tragedy of the Phoenix. Have you got the poem? Are you going to read it? I'm not going to read it. It probably went on for about bloody 30 it did, stanzas. It did. It was, was all about the beautiful phoenix and how it was killed by jealous, jealous rivals. Uh, right, so after this, he then got married to Anne in 1589. And apparently he was actually infatuated with his wife. Although when Anne was pregnant with their first son, he did have an affair with another Anne called Anne Murray, who was the daughter of A. John Murray, uh, he was the first Earl of Tullibardine. That lasted for about four years up until uh, so the he, 1590s. He, she was like a mistress. Yeah, yeah. He does even have a letter describing her as such. Uh, right, so once he became King of England after the death of old Elizabeth, this was when he got his, his, second, his second male lover. And this was a young fellow by the name of Robert Carr. He was 17 at the time, and they met through a... There was a jousting tournament, and young Robert Carr broke his leg. And this is how Mr. James met him. And instantly became uh, quite taken with the young lad. Apparently was a young, young strapping, handsome buck, who was also apparently a bit of an idiot. Loris. <laughs> yeah, totally a Loris Tyrell character. 
Yeah, so he became really infatuated with him and he, he showered him with gifts. And over time, he gave him sort of higher and higher positions within the court. For example, he was made a gentleman of the bedchamber. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, a, I was like, oh, what? I should also mention Mr. Last fella, Emery, was also made a gentleman of the bedchamber. What uh, would a gentleman of the A gentleman of the bedchamber bed does kind of what it sounds like. He he guards the king's room and helps him get dressed and looks after his cupboard and just... Helps him clear his tubes. Just, you know, keeps him company if he wants wants him to talk Duke. <laughs> <laughs> Visual comedy there. <laughs> Sam mimed um, sucking a penis. Uh, yes, and also the fella became rather unpopular. Because largely, I mean, it's not hard to see why, because he was made a Knight of the Garter, he was made a Privy Councillor, he was then made a Viscount Rochester, and it was at this time, this fellow must have also been a bit uh, a bit by, because he got became very taken with a, a woman called Frances Howard, who he sort of fell in love with, uh, convinced James to annul get her marriage annulled because she was already married. And so he, Mr. Carr, married her and as a wedding present, he was made Earl of Somerset by James. So James wasn't bothered. He was like, all right. Well, James was kind of like, oh, I'm still in love with him. But at this time, this this was the end of their their relationship, really. I think, basically, uh, Mr. Carr became... Well, fell in love with his wife, basically, and didn't want to yeah. keep having sex with James. His wife like, might have been like, can you stop having sex with the king, please? <laughs> uh, yeah, and there is... It's weird. It's really weird when you go and have sex with the king. <laughs> there is a little weird um, letter from James complaining about Mr. Carr. And it was saying... Basically saying he... How he would refuse to stay in his bedchamber, how he would all slink away from his bedchamber and would refuse to lie with him, even though his his earnest protestations to the contrary. And it's just like, all right, okay, mate. All right, all right. So, what all of this came to a head. James would have not been, actually, would have been getting on a bit now, would have been in his 40s, I believe. Yeah, 66. So, yeah, he would have been. just 17. Yeah, he would have been. He would have been an old, older, older chap by this point. Dirty, <laughs> very, very dirty. Yeah, so this all came ahead around about sixteen fifteen, uh, when their when their relationship had completely broken down. But what really ended his relationship with him was it came out that his wife had murdered or was accused of murdering a Sir Thomas Overbury who was. Uh, Carl's best mate but who had been opposed to the marriage and so it came out that she had murdered him in 1613 and to sort of because James no longer liked him he had them put on trial and during the trial Mr. Carr was like if you put us on trial I'm going to I'm going to you know I'm going to reveal that you've been sleeping with us trying to blackmail him but unfortunately for him, that plan didn't work because his wife confessed. And so they were both sentenced to death. But James must have been feeling a little bit sorry for him. Must have totally hated him because he did have this sentence annulled. And they would spend the next seven years in prison in the Tower of London before being pardoned. Where they actually just retreated to a country estate, lived out the rest of their lives there. 
or seven years or yeah seven years the total mustn't have been mustn't have been nice well <coughs> seven years for murder and consp- uh, conspiracy to murder so kind of an all right sentence i'd think yeah <laughs> and the next and last of his lovers and possibly his greatest lover was a fellow by the name of George Villiers. And I will start this off with a poem written by a French poet called Fiafil Divot. And it read, in part, Apollo with his songs debauched Hyacinthus, and it is well known that the King of England fucks the Duke of Buckingham. <laughs> Maybe it worked a bit better in French, but it gets the point across. <laughs> uh, Bold and to the point. That was from his poem, Au Marquis du Buckingham. Just Buckingham in French, I think. Um, yes, so this fella met James in 1614. Just round about the time he's det- his relationship with good old... And uh, Carr. Good old Mr. Oh, Carr was right. deteriorating. And... George was not a lord or anything like that. He was the son of a Leicester Knight. A Leicester Knight. But he himself was of what would be considered common stock. But he was a handsome and at the time described as highly intelligent man. And it's also thought he was kind of pushed in front of James by some of the nobles at court because they were getting sick of, of Carr. And they were getting sick of the scandals around them. Right, so, just so they were just to... kind of like, look at this young guy. <laughs> look at this young buck. Look um, at the buns on him. <laughs> <laughs> Which they would actually come to rue later on. Uh, but yes, so once again, James was instantly infatuated with this, this young fellow. And in 1615, he was knighted by once again becoming... Lord of the Bedfellow. <laughs> Lord, Lord Bedfellow. <laughs> Lord Bedfellow, yes. <laughs> um, and he would be, he would have a bunch of titles heaped on him from 1615 until 1623 when he was eventually made Duke of Buckingham. Um, and the thing is about that, he was the only, when he was made the Duke of Buckingham, that made him the only Duke left in England. One of the most powerful men in the, in the realm. He's also made Lord of the Admiral. Lord Admiral in 1619, and he was given given a lot of of power. To do, he was probably the second most powerful man in the country after after old Jamesy. Um, and James wrote about this fellow. He wrote about him several times, and in one of them he wrote, "You may be sure that I love the Earl of, the Earl of Buckingham, very informal, I think, more than anyone else. Christ had John." And I have George. And in some of his other letters, he directly referred to him as his wife. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The odd thing was about this man was he apparently got on very well with with James's wife. And Anne would die in 1619, I think. But yeah, apparently they got on very well. Like uh, as a, a, a couple or just as friends? Just as friends. Yeah, apparently she was like, don't always remain loyal to me. I'm not sure if she thought anything untoward was going on, but she Probably. was like... the rumours must have must been, have been. rife. Uh, yeah, so she was Especially like, yeah, just... Car. She was like, yeah, please stay true to me husband and, and look after him. And he did, and he was by... He was at his bedside, James's bedside, in 1625 when he died. What did uh, James die of? He was old. 
no, right. by that point he was yeah just old um, a few things I do have to mention some historians have said that there was actually no evidence that they were physically in love with each other and that a lot of these way of phrasing things weren't entirely uncommon at the time calling your friend your wife <laughs> that's a bit odd <laughs> <coughs> and a lot of contemporaries at the time did seem to think that they were getting on one of the main arguments against it is his political opponents didn't ever accuse him of being in a sexual relationship with this right man. which would have been a, yeah. a go-to attack but during a renovation um on one of his houses during the mid 2000s they did find a secret passageway linking their two bedrooms <laughs> so <laughs> so i'm i'm going to Get i'm going in. to say quite definitively they were getting it on <laughs> was that widely reported at the time yeah, i think it would have been in two i'm guessing well not really i mean how often are tales of old 400 dead 400 year old kings reported in the news yeah it would have been a little a little footnote in the mirror. And today, One of those little side columns. Our dead mon- our gay dead monarch. <laughs> Do you remember when, I can't remember what newspaper it was, but they found a really old coin with a picture of Cleopatra on it. And it was like the sun on the mirror or something. And it was, the headline was something like, it's official, Cleopatra was a minger. <laughs> <laughs> I do remember that, I do remember that, yes. Oh my God, the sun's the worst. My favourite sun headline ever, which was from a few years ago, and I didn't read the article, I just read the headline. Brace yourselves. Diana, you whore. (laughs) (laughs) Diana, you whore. She's dead. (laughs) You can't say that about... I bet the end, I was like, fucking love it. Fucking love it, mate. Oh, fucking love that. Get flying off shields. (laughs) Uh, Last thing I do want to say about uh, about good old James was... So two things, actually. He is responsible for the King James Bible. That was, oh, right, that was okay. him that got that published. And do you call him we good are... old James? Good old James, yeah. I don't think you've said anything good about him yet. <laughs> Another, sorry, this is one quote I forgot, but there was a common saying at the time that was, with Elizabeth we had a king, we now have Queen James. <laughs> Which is just a nice little, uh... <laughs> I suppose, a nice little bit of... Homophobia. <laughs> nice little. Uh, the second thing is, which is just an odd little part of quirk for his personality, was as I mentioned, his son Henry would die in sixteen fourteen, I believe, of typhoid, fe- typhoid fever at the age of eighteen. And James refused to go to his funeral because he didn't like funerals. So right, just just an odd, an odd, another odd bit about his character there. Nah, not bother. Not bother. It's just my first born son. How are you, man? <laughs> Him going, nah. <laughs> I'll send, I'll send good old, uh, I'll send good old fucking car in Car in my place. Uh, yeah, that kind of wraps up what I've got to say about King James. I think one of his two most outstanding odd traits, his obsession with witches, which didn't last, but... And but it also, resulted in the death of yeah. many. Another thing I'll say about him, and like a more historical... Uh, valuable is he turned out to be a decent king of Scotland but not a very good king of England his his ideas of absolute monarchy uh, ran quite counter to parliamentarian England right okay and he was very much I am I am a king because I am, am God ordained and it was these traits which would carry on into his son Charles I which would then cause the English Civil War so there you are there we are. 
I think I will last one very last thing. Villiers would be assassinated uh, later on in the 1640s, I believe, or 1630s, during Charles I's reign, because he was just an absolute ass. Was he? Yeah, he became a total, total bit of an ass. Did he just think he was the bee's knees? He became a bit of the bee's knees. He became Charles's best. He was even during this time Charles's best buddy, and a bit weird. You'd be best buddy, and you're also shagging me dad. But all right. <laughs> um, <laughs> So yeah, he was not his his post James career took uh, took a bit of an unfortunate turn. Right. Well, I suppose if he had ultimate power, yeah, he was always a bit of a a, a, a bit too big for his boots. Think of the power. Did anyone think of a tagline for the podcast yet? You've had three weeks. Well, really, actually, <laughs> in the in reality, you've had about two months. <laughs> uh, if you haven't come up, well, it's all right. We've had a suggestion from Jack Williams. I'm going to say barely a degree. It's okay, I suppose. <laughs> that was a good one. Sam, anything from you? Uh, nothing. Okay, I'll read Jack's out then because they were both terrible. Well, Jack says a message. It just it basically said, it only works if you're still a veggie, which I am. Two-thirds boy, one-third soy. <laughs> <laughs> Jack quite liked. Um, and then he, was, he said something along the lines of... Um, because Sam always goes, oh, it's a meaty one, or here's the here's the meat coming up. The tagline could simply be, "It's a bit meaty." <laughs> I he's, gone, he's very much gone down the line of meat and vegetables. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right then, well, it's late. I'm tired. I've got uni in the morning. So, shall we sound off, round off? Let's do it. <gasps> That's a goodbye from. <laughs> That's a goodbye from me. See ya. suggestions for this series <clears throat> ah, hoisted by my own petard <laughs> <laughs>